thought I'd tutorial it too. But uh... I've got uh, something uh, um, around then as well. So that's mm, good. Yeah. Great. So we are. So we are talking. So um, good afternoon, LinkedIn, or good morning, LinkedIn, if you're watching on the other side of the Atlantic uh, to where Charles and I are here in the UK, right here, uh, right now. And we are talking about marketing for the curious. This is a pilot conversation. And the reason we're saying it's a pilot conversation on the Neil Wilkins podcast is because we believe that we're not going to have to do justice in this one conversation to all of the various challenges, opportunities, issues, and things going on in the marketing space right now. But we are going to give you, hopefully, a little bit of a taster to the things that we're going to be talking about in the coming months. So, this was Charles's idea, actually, to call it the marketing or marketing for the curious. Charles, why the title? Do you think? What's the, what's the title in it for people? Because for most marketers, it is curiosity that finds the new service, product, um, story, um, and it is constantly by being curious that most companies look to marketing people to search for the innovations. So, you know, we as marketers need to be constantly curious about what's going on around us, what's in it for us, what's in it for the company, what's in it for the customer. Um, always questioning, always thinking about newness and new ideas. Or indeed, I mean, it doesn't have to be on the basis that we're looking for constantly moving forward. We could be re, uh, rejuvenating and bringing back new uh, old ideas for um, recycling. Um, but the general aspect is that we should be curious to what's going on in the world around us. You mentioned when we were talking about this that you found quite a few people who you were talking to who are coming from uh, the marketing perspective with a certain amount of um, depression and looking at this thing in a negative way. Whereas my tendency nearly always being a contrarian and a positive person is always to see what the opportunities are. Um, and to think, you know, well, yes, there are some terrible things going on in the world, but there are silver linings to them. And the phrase, you know, no, no cloud has, uh, every cloud has a silver lining and never let a, um, a disaster go to waste is, is, are phrases that uh, business people have been using for years. And I think for marketers, this is where we need to you know, prove our worth by seeing the opportunities, especially in a post-COVID world. Mm, and I'm excited by this because I think for me, I'm totally on the same page uh, as you when it comes to the opportunity is almost like I can't really see the negative in stuff. It's not to say I'm a, a, a positivity if there is such a word um but it just it just feels that yeah just they, these things shout out to me and i guess it's kind of being i suppose innately a sponge i always use this in conversation when i'm talking to people about about how you do this because i think for for lots of marketers well and people in business generally that there is this tendency i guess to be hamsters on a wheel just going around and around and around doing the same thing expecting potentially different outcomes but not really challenging the status quo or even really having a desire or an appetite to look beyond the four walls or beyond the sector that they're in and I'm really, really a huge advocate of being a sponge, which is, you know, keep all the options open. Don't put blinkers on. 
you know, be hungry and have an appetite for change. And I will come on, I'm sure we're going to talk about change, um, because it's inherent in this conversation. I don't think you could be a curious marketer, particularly in 2023, without embracing change. Do, do you think it's this fear of change that, you know, if, if we understand there are a lot of people out there who don't wish to engage with this and just want to almost see this as a, a sort of a protective time where you have to be looking out for number one, protecting yourself, kind of, you know, it's, it's the fear of failure. It's, it's too, the risk profile is too high. Do, do you think it's a, um, a, I don't know, an aversion to change that is at the, the heart of that problem? I think we have to look at it from the point of view of where we are in various cycles. So from an economic or a political or even a social cycle. And indeed, from the point of view of uh, the calendar year, we just we're talking about the fact that you know, it's cold and it's damp and it's wet outside and it's overcast. Um, and a lot of people do suffer from seasonal adjustment disorder. And the result of which is that you, know, you can feel quite depressed and vulnerable. Um, going through the the winter and the autumn months, the result of which is that that you know brings in a mindset which says, well, I'll actually hunker down. I don't want to put my head above the parapet. I'll just get on with doing the ordinary things rather than experiment with something new. Um, given sunshine, given warmth, given plenty of uh, opportunity for physical exercise, the tendency is the attitude changes. So I think time of year is actually very important and we would probably historically not necessarily taken that into account, but now we talk much more about an awareness of people's mental health and mental attitude. And I think that is an important part. I think the other aspect is that we are um, where we are indeed, because we have survived a pandemic. There are not many of these aspects that have come around in the world a hundred years ago, you know, Spanish flu, rampaged around the world. Um, before that, you've probably got to go back another hundred or so years. Um, and so these things are psychologically damaging. Um, there is a tendency to say, well, as long as the world's continuing to function, I won't change it because what would happen if you know, it stopped? But from that perspective, um, one has to say, you know, there isn't a great deal of economic growth um, there isn't necessarily a great deal of population growth in many parts of the world. Um, so we have to look for the opportunities through things like innovation or indeed those marketplaces that are growing. And that therefore requires us to be curious about where those places are, what those opportunities are, what those technologies are, and to see them very much, as you suggest, in a positive light rather than a negative light. I mean, we, you and I have talked about ChatGPT and uh, other AI platforms. And I have to say, I find it as exciting to play with that as it probably was to play with the first iPhone when it came out. It's, it's you know, it's fun. Um, but there's a report in today's Financial Times which talks about 300 million jobs lost. Um, and if you take that with a slightly different approach, then you think, my goodness me, this is, you know, a very downbeat, uh, gloomy scenario. I don't want to touch the technology, I'll leave it alone. So I think you um, are right in that people's attitudes you know, may well be reflecting of where we are in the various economic and social cycles, and I'd add in the weather as well. Yeah, and I think it is it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because the 
this balance between so you, you've got the the broader, wider sort of economical impact because obviously it's part of a big kind of macro sort of stance, I guess, that we're all kind of sort of facing or facing up to. But at the same time, then it becomes very, very localized. It becomes down to an individual level and a human being reacting or interacting in that scenario. So it's really, really super complex, isn't it? This I mean, back in the day, maybe when we were creating marketing plans, a lot of people come to the end of the tax year in the UK are probably starting to think about budgets for next year and starting to put plans together. And it used to be that you could forecast out quite some way. I can remember the first time I was engaging with um, the college and, you know, some of those very, very early teaching sessions that I did. I mean, this is a long time ago now. It's a quarter of a century ago nearly, which is frightening. And you know, in those days, I was talking about, oh, yeah, long term planning. It was kind of a 10 year window in some industries. I mean, five years if it was a very fast moving industry. Nowadays, if you can plan to the end of this year, you're doing well. You know, th- this is real turbulence, isn't it? And then you factor in the human element of it. It wasn't then, obviously, it was all part of a process and you had your project managers and you'd kind of create these things, you'd put a budget against it, and then you would just roll that project out. It's way more complicated now, isn't it? It's it's a very, very different world in a turbulent, sort of chaotic way. The answer from my perspective is yes and no, um, the usual approach. Um, So, yes, I agree there's an awful lot going on. um, But a lot of that is amplified by the nature of media that we now find ourselves in. So... You talk 25 years ago. I mean, one could go back definitely to the last century when most people would have probably not agreed with this, but it was true that we lived in a fairly benign macro world. Now, there were you know, changes. There were uh, um, wars. There were levels of inflation. There was unemployment. There were technological changes. All of these things have happened in the past, um, some quite distinctively uh, changing um, economies. Um, But we were not fixated with them in the way that we are these days because of the role of media, whether that happens to be mass media or social media. Um, There is a constant requirement now um, for media to move on to the next thing. Um, And the result of trying to gain as much publicity as possible for the various media readerships is the result of which is we concentrate on negative stories. And so you could say that we are in the perfect storm of political, economic, social um, and technological change. But historically speaking, it's not unusual to find many of these changes happening in previous decades. Indeed, Drucker wrote managing in turbulent times back in the 1980s Um, and inflation. What's this? It's still only in a 10%. I mean, you've got to talk about 20 plus percent if you go back to the 70s in the UK. And we had to cope with that. Um, talk about technology. Well, the introduction of computers and computer programming um, rather than just a new program um, on top of the existing system. Having said that, the powerful nature of computers these days does mean significant change is possible. Um, but we have to adapt, and we, we do. Um, yes, we have a major war, and I think that's one of the biggest problems that we find unusual to cope with. This is affecting a lot of businesses in different ways. 
And we don't know what's going to happen in the next three, six, nine months. And that is really problematic from a planning perspective. So yes, there are areas where we can make some predictions and think about the way in which the real world will be in 18 months, maybe three years. There are certainly some where we don't know where they'll be in three weeks. Mm, and do you th- do you th- do you think this is one of the reasons why? And I'll, I'll continue to challenge this because I, I see so many examples, you know, with clients and, and marketers and people I talk to, th- this kind of aversion to trying something new. I mean, I'm talking a lot right now about metaverse marketing. Obviously, AI is is hot topic for most people, even if it's just from a bit of a distant observation perspective. But I'm, I'm talking a lot about metaverse marketing. I'm also talking about marketing sustainability. We'll come on to that and this kind of emerging mindful uh, customer um, in a minute. But th- these kind of things that are kind of arriving, if you like, either from left field or from directly in front of you, as a marketer, th- there's so many adjustments, um, even to the point of pivoting, that are on offer, but also are threatened. I I guess in some industries, it's an absolute have to because the legislation or the regulation in the industry says that you must respond to this in a timely and proficient way. But for a lot of industries, it's kind of self-policing right now. You don't really have to. Um, There might be a bit of competitive edge if you take some of these big things on and maybe have an opinion or create a little pilot study around them. But it feels like for most marketers, there isn't really this obligation to change. And I'm wondering whether that is one of the challenges or issues that marketers who do want to be, you know, maybe at the cutting edge of this stuff are facing is just that there simply isn't a critical mass of people who are wanting to change, wanting to move into this new space, which, of course, has an upside and a downside. But I mean, what's what's your view, Charles, on this, this kind of emerging sort of new marketing mix if we even want to call it that because it, it does feel that it it kind of sounds and looks different because it has sustainability in it it has climate it has you know new emerging technologies it's complicated isn't it yes but you see you've got my contrarian uh, view here which says it always was complicated it, it never was simple um, yes, you can find some you know, wonderful cases where simple adverts you know, would say exactly what it was that they were offering and it was very successful. Um, but there are many, many situations where it has in the past been very confusing as to what the different marketplaces wanted. And certainly as new technology came about in the last 20 years, most customers didn't actually know what they wanted because they didn't understand what the technology was capable of. So it's always been complicated. I think one of the problems that I would add to your um, scenario is that there is a significant amount of other ideas coming out. You you mentioned climate change. Yes, absolutely important and pivotal to the way in which any business operates. But there are issues about gender. There are issues about diversity. There are issues about age. There are issues about sourcing of products and uh, raw materials. And there is a lot to occupy the marketer. Um, So uh, the degree to which a marketer is prepared or has the time to go out and and shout about the the great new metaverse 
is less than it was before because they have to cope with all the other things that their company has decided or is responding to um, that it has to um, take a stance on. So um, whether it happens to be you know, um, building inclusiveness or before looking at a new technology uh, may well be more uh, appropriate to an organisation. You've always been in the lead about the metaverse. You, you've often talked about this in the past. Um, and um, I will still be a bit of a sceptic and say that I think it's there, but it has to take a while before it actually becomes something that's um, a commodity that is usable um, for the majority of the marketplace. So I think it's it's got you know, nearly a decade before it gets to that stage. So it'll be a niche play for a while, I think. And the, the metaverse is an opportunity, but there are other technologies that are knocking at the door um, with a much stronger claim in the shorter term. Yeah, and I think this is one of the challenges, isn't it, really? I mean, I guess it's always been the way in business, but as you're saying, it is very much an accelerated and sort of narrowed time frame in terms of decision making. You don't get the luxury of doing extended research to find out what is the next big thing. Can you get the evidence to prove it? Do you do your focus groups to find out how people want it? You kind of, as almost as a marketer now in this sort of knee-jerk reaction scenario, aren't you really? Because you've kind of, with the best information available in that moment, you kind of have to be much more responsive. It feels like what used to be a strategic decision is now a tactical decision. What was a tactical decision is now just an immediate, well, let's just give it a go and see what happens, but we can stop as quickly as we started. Is it the timeframes then that's making this difficult, making this trickier, making this the perception that people are taking risk and, and fearful? Is it is it purely down to just the speed of processing of everything, do you think? I don't think that's an important aspect of it. I mean, there are elements now, of course, because we have been um, automated or speeded up by previous technological waves so that if you want to do your market research, you can certainly do so. And the only thing that usually is stopping you is actually willpower and time in the day to organise it. You know, online surveys now are the norm. Um, but 20 odd years ago, you would have to commission a market research agency. You'd have to go out either with clipboards or arrange interviews or do telephone interviewing. And that all took a significant amount of time than the analysis. Whereas now, most of that analysis can be done as soon as the last interview is completed. Um, much of it can be done online and automated. And so there is almost you know, too much data available. And that's one of the other aspects is that there are too many uh, new feeds of information coming in that I think a lot of marketers are like rabbits in the headlight. You know, there are so many possibilities of things to do. Um, which therefore stops you choosing which one and going for it. You have to have um, more of a consensus these days, I think, rather than the uh, let's just do it approach. Mm. So it becomes, yeah, one of those things. I mean, you mentioned earlier about, you know, what the business wants, the impact of the business. And of course, that implies that the business knows what it needs as well as knows what it wants. Do, do you feel the role then of marketing? I know I've, I've banged the drum that marketing needs to be sat at the top table for, for years. I mean, it feels. Um, and yet we're still, in most cases, I would argue, still struggling to get into that position. But do you feel then that the definition of the value that marketing brings to an organization 
is this opportunity to provide kind of guidance and provide a, um, a safe pair of hands for that sort of decision making based on all those things that you've said? Because, you know, the business itself, probably the key decision makers are running around, you know, like headless chickens with, you know, just trying to kind of cope with day-to-day supply chain issues, you know, bigger stuff with stakeholders that they would argue, you know, very much taking their time for the right reasons, just survival. Do, do you see the marketing role then evolving into being more of a, a guiding sort of safe pair of hands, uh, sort of a, a beacon in the dark, so to speak, because it feels like we do have a little bit of a luxury here of being one very um, potentially receptive to all this new stuff that's coming in. If we can make the time or prioritize the time to critique it, figure out where the priorities are, then it feels like this is the time to be in this perfect storm, as you describe it, more of a, um, I guess, thought leader within the organization. Do Do you see this kind of role morphing into something a little bit more consultative? I think taking your perfect storm point we are probably the reader of the radar rather than necessarily the pilot on the bridge um, I think that things that um, I would identify is that marketing as a discipline is much more represented at the top of organizations these days the title less so um, but I think the the understanding that has gone into senior management education over the last 20, 30 years about the nature of the marketplace, marketing as a discipline in the way in which it challenges and tests the market's uh, response. I think that has been extremely successful. Um, For most senior marketers, the aspiration to get to the boardroom is a a strong one and likely to to become um, so rather than it was 20 or 30 years ago. Um, I think the, the point you are sort of illustrating that, you know, there are so many opportunities. Um, how does the marketer um, deal with this? I would say that marketing as a department still needs to operate in the educational mode internally. It is about making people aware of what's going on around them. It may not have to make the decisions. It may not be able to say this way or that way or don't do that. It's in most instances is collaborative these days and rather than intrusive and therefore education, communicative, telling people what's going on in the world around and presenting that data um, is something that is critical these days. Um, And you mentioned the college and what we taught in the past. And I think one of the things that is absolutely essential to any of this is making sure that you're using credible and reliable data rather than anachronistic stories and um, one-off anecdotes. So I think, um, yes, there's an awful lot going on in the world around us, some of which is still not understood. So whether or not we talk about climate strategies and the impact of those then we need to be constantly curious as to what the opportunities are, what the impacts are, um, rather than necessarily having to make decisions straight away. So um, I think that you, know, you, um, you bewail the fact that you know, we're not always making decisions all the time. I think to some degree, that's probably right at the moment. We still don't quite know 
which would be the right way to go. Um, and so I think that there are areas that we just need to monitor. I'm really curious because this is marketing for the curious. So I'm starting to get curious now. There's this almost new role for marketers, and I like the sound of it. I don't know what uh, anyone listening to this is thinking. If you, if you have a view on this, be very interested to see this in the comments. Please do uh, add any thoughts on this one. But the whole idea of marketing being arguably less about the external communications and more this kind of internal consultative role. I think particularly as more senior marketers, this kind of idea that you go to the marketer to understand what is emerging, what opportunities are there, what should we be avoiding, how should we be prioritizing. So this consultative kind of role, rather than just being about the production of stuff, production of noise, adding more to the social media timeline, etc., and much more about actually, in, in the truest sense, the thought leader within the organization. So really deeply thinking about, now wouldn't this be nice, really getting the opportunity to think about actually what's going on and how we might respond. I mean, I'm, I'm drawn very, very smoothly and seamlessly to one of the I know we were going to talk about some sort of micro kind of closer to home topics rather than just all the big macro stuff and maybe a really nice example of this seamless link here um, is this what we would describe as this emerging new consumer stroke citizen um, I don't want to use the word consumer we'll come on to that in a moment um, but this new emerging customer who is more mindful more conscious more sustainably aware we challenge. Now, if that, of course, is the case, then who is better placed to advise and guide the organization about how this is potentially going to change us as a business than the marketer? I mean, this sounds like, I mean, as we've said, perfect storm about three or four times here, but this does sound like it's a bit of a watershed moment, doesn't it? Because who else is listening to this emerging mindful customer? I mean, I, I just don't think anybody but marketing could really be better placed. I... I... I think it's up to marketing to, to draw the conclusions, do the analysis, as well as to do the listening. I think that any good organization should be a listening organization. And whether or not that happens to be retailers, uh, people on the shop floor, people in uh, um, just picking up comments should be empowered to put that into the organization's mindset, as it were, for, for consideration. It isn't just down to a small group of people to have uh, an, an exclusive view of what the world is about, but they do have the ability to bring it all together to bring the various sources, um, the um, anecdotes, as well as the uh, carefully researched um, think pieces. Um, and I do think you're right that there is an opportunity here for marketers to become more of the brain power within an organisation. Um, the, the citizen customer, as opposed to consumer, which I'm sure you'll come back on, um, is an interesting one because we have educated as marketers majority of the people out there buying products um, you know children from a very young age uh, have uh, understood the whole process of marketing so that now those who are now in their you know, 20s 30s uh, fully understand the process of marketing and as such have a view as to what they want and what they don't want and I think that leads to a very strong um, reinforcement of the issues about being a citizen uh, customer. 
the other aspect I think is that um, we have a group of um, people um, who these days are considering the nature of uh, uh, marketing um, who are at two stages. You know, one, one is a primary aspect of what is the world about us doing. And the other is a communication state. And marketing comms, which is where most people have entered the idea of, well, marketing is about advertising, PR, etc. Um, that has been automated to a very high degree now. The creativity that used to be there, I bemoan on the basis that I just don't see anywhere near the levels of creativity anymore. Um, and we are now into just creating more and more noise in order to be able to try and stand out above the more and more noise. Um, so organizations really do need to come back to not just banging out more media um, fodder, but actually understanding what's going on in the world and empathizing with their customers and potential customers. And that does come through the, th the thought process. So perhaps mm -hmm. come back to your uh, consumer stroke non-consumer in that respect. Mm, yeah, I just just for clarity for, for anybody listening or watching this, um, the, the reason I've got this real bugbear around this word consumer is because if you actually think about it, and we've already talked about this phrase, uh, marketing sustainability. If we're being truly sustainable, we shouldn't be consuming. I mean, consumption in essence is something that marketers have been you know, responsible for the encouragement of consumption because you can sell product or service by getting people to consume more. And of course, well, we are where we are. And I don't think we need to kind of delve too deeply um, into that in this particular uh, conversation because we know where we are. We're right in the thick of it. And it's really, to my mind, marketing's almost due diligence and responsibility to kind of figure out a way through this. And I think whilst we continue to call our customers consumers, um, we're encouraging the very behavior that has got us into where we are now. And I think this is, for me, one of the big challenges for marketing. And I'm trying to do my best. I haven't got it right yet, but I'm trying to do my best in this area, um, is, is to very much figure out how to add value purpose-driven, higher purpose kind of led value as an organization or as an individual, if you're in a micro business, it could just be you, um, how you're going to add value without getting people to consume more. And, th and this is to me a fundamental redescription of the customer that we face. And this can apply to every single industry in my mind, that we should be redefining how we add value. And yes, of course, we're in business, most of us. So we need to charge some kind of, you know, return for the value that we're bringing. Totally fine. Don't get um, that, uh, that part of the equation wrong, because otherwise you won't be here tomorrow to do that. So I think there's about, so it's kind of like a mindful or sustainable way of creating value for your organization and business. But does it, and here's the fundamental rhetorical question, does it require further consumption? Because if there's value you can bring as a marketer and it doesn't require people to consume more, so we're looking maybe at circular economy, circular business here, for example, subscription-based models and all that kind of thing. If you're able to do that, you can have a very successful business. You can be adding value to the planet, the communities around you, all stakeholders that you're engaging with, without consumption, without unnecessary consumption. 
you must have a view on this one, Charles. <laughs> the element that I think is there's almost a deja vu. There's almost a case of, well, you know, we went wrong a few decades ago and perhaps we need to go back to that. You're right that consumption for consumption's sake is wrong, morally wrong um, and economically wrong. Um, we have made a society addicted to buying, purchasing the uh, adrenaline rush, the endorphins that are fired up. These are the elements that um, we satisfy when the so-called retail therapy kicks in. Um, and that has detrimental impact upon the planet when there's 7.8 billion of us. Certainly when I was just about to uh, start my university uh, career, there were only 3 billion people on the planet. And yet we seem to have a fairly successful and reasonable way of living. Um, and now we are much more in terms of consuming goods, um, but also of disposing goods. I think the statistic that I read was that more people buy clothes, but wear them less. Um, so your circular economy idea is, is a very sound one, especially in the fashion industry, which you know, has just taken so many Earth resources. Innovation, on the other hand, does require newness. And we wouldn't be in the situation we are now in terms of the quality of life, the ability to respond to the pandemic and to many of the other issues in society without the science and technology that we now rely on. And indeed, the potential science and technology we are now uh, um, hypothesizing about. So we do need experimentation. We do need innovation and we do need, therefore, constant trial and error within the organizations that are bringing new products and services to market. So there is a balance. I think for most organizations, the situation is one of evolution or whatever the phrase would be, but backwards evolution. So it doesn't have to be to sell. It could be to repair. It could be to recycle or reuse um, the products. There are classic examples of things like Patagonia and other places that are, are mentioned are nearly all the time. But the ability to repair um, your clothing rather than buying new, to repair goods and uh, goods that you've had um, rather than buying something again. Um, this should be a natural part of what companies build into their business models. Um, the recycling as much as possible of the resources that are consumed by making a product um, should be a natural part of a business. Making that economically so, however, is a real problem in today's world where people are not rewarded uh, for that nature. And we, as existing businesses, still need to keep our staff employed and our existing customers happy and to pay the taxes and all the other aspects that go to making a successful economy. We can't all shut up shop tomorrow on the basis that, well, if we don't sell, people can't consume and therefore we can't um, burn up the resources of the planet. Unfortunately, we'd all end up, or a very large number of people would end up unemployed, very desperate and not necessarily 
um, too chuffed about the idea. So um, this is where I see the opportunities that come from macro activity as being positive. Yes, the war in Ukraine is terrible, but it does mean that there's a greater emphasis for using renewables in terms of energy creation, something we should have done decades ago. And you and I have talked about this and have taken our own you know, limited paths down that route. But I think this is more you know, to be done. Similarly, we should be perhaps consuming less meat and more grain and uh, the putting up of um, prices for farmers means that they use less um, phosphates and nitrates on the ground, which means that things become more natural, um, hopefully bringing, bringing about a better um, wildlife balance. So there are positives and there are changes, but these changes take time. Um, I think the last IPCC report came out and said all the technology you require is there. All we have to do is just implement it. And I think because we are an economically driven society, it is economics that will make us implement it rather than political will. So this feels like it is changing everything. Everything is changing and it is changing everything. And I just, yeah, I get so excited. I, I love change. There's something just intrinsically good about it because if you didn't get it right the first time, there's another opportunity. You Ooh, get a second uh, shot of it. This Absolutely. is kind of what it feels like, isn't it? It just, you know, we've got new communications channels and I'm still going to be battling into the whole marketing metaverse thing because it is, you know, whilst you know, everyone yeah. is really noisy, I am I'm determined to make this the quiet space where you can get competitive advantage. Um, so I'm just going to keep going with that one. And again, with the whole kind of sustainable marketing sort of conversation, again, there's just this huge opportunity, not only for what is right for stakeholders and the planet, but also actually what might be competitively advantageous. So that it feels like even though we're kind of hinting that this marketing for the curious is all about revolution because you've got to do it fast, actually it feels like in most cases this is an evolution to something a lot, lot better, something way, way more powerful than we've ever had before in, in all senses of the marketing mix. feels like your products can be more appropriate and they can be circular. They can kind of add more value. It feels like the people angle can just you know, reprioritize and resegment and maybe actually provide value to different sets of people than your typical old customer you've, you've always had. And, and with the processes, I mean, you know, we've already described you know, a few processes and marketing automation and all those, you know, potentially wonderful things. But all they're doing really is just redefining what marketers could, should be doing. And then when it comes to the profit, we're saying, well, actually, the old form of being rewarded for what you do is changing, whether you like it or not. So now's the time to kind of wake up to that and figure out how can we get more value and more profit? from these new things that are opening up as opportunities? Because if we don't, competitor down the road is going to do just that. So yes, this is all about being awake again, isn't it? Very much so. I think this reprofiling, you know, rather than cutting it in one particular way, but cutting it different way, is, is very, very important. We've all been brought up since the 60s on the idea that the youth culture is the culture for the future. Um, and therefore, there is constant discussions about millennials, Gen Zs and uh, etc. Um, but in reality, the majority of the money that is spent, the amount of resources that are owned 
and indeed a good proportion, if not a majority of the population, are over 45. Um, and as the population trends turn in terms of the declining populations, you know, the longevity issue for people is going to be a big one. They have time, they have money, um, and they have concern. Um, so I think that you're absolutely right. The, those companies that re-segment and reprofile on the basis of a better mix of the way in which they live with the planet and they live with consumption is much better than the old way of constantly trying to sell new things to new marketplaces on a constant rolling basis. Um, those days, I think, are gone. Um, and, you know, we, we are seeing a, you know, somewhat of a backlash. I mean, there's Nestle having to report that you know, over 50% of its food products aren't healthy by their definition. You know, shows you, you know, that we have actually you know, gone the wrong way or gone too far down the satisfying of the easy route, as it were. And we probably need to have a few more grown-up conversations with consumers as to what is good, not only for them, but also for the planet. Mm, feels the time is right. It totally, to my mind... And I think we've just proved it with this unscripted conversation that we've just had. And it genuinely is unscripted. We don't really know. We had a rough idea of some of the things we might we touch on, but, but we haven't really generally got a clue what we we're going to say, which is very interesting because then we've arrived in the point where I guess we hoped we would, which was almost sort of self-justification for some of these topic areas that are going to form part of the Marketing for the Curious series. And, and this to me is very interesting because it's almost listening to ourselves discussing these points and kind of feeling which points raise us, which points feel that they might lower lower us a little bit in terms of, oh, that's a bit of a challenge, or now this one's an opportunity. It kind of sets an agenda, really, for the series, doesn't it? Because there are some clearly some hot topics in here, but they kind of feel like they are all joined together under this, for, well, for me, what I've picked up from this conversation, one theme, which is marketers need to be more curious and then they need to use that curiosity to fuel the conversations within the organization as to what are we going to do next and why and can we evidence base it i think that there is a lot of new things that we need to consider there are a lot of changes that's happening in the world outside we also though need to recast some of the existing um tenants of marketing the concept of loyalty um the concept of pricing needs to be recast as two things together. Um, as we go forward within a low growth society and a low growth economy, um, we need to think about how we retain customers. And as customers become more ecologically concerned, then those that are reflecting of the um, profile and branding of the organization are the ones that you need to reward. So I think loyalty is going to become one of the biggest issues over the next few years. Um, but the technology that allows you to do that is already there. Um, and I think that's one of the other aspects that we need to investigate because many of the technologies that will be implemented over the next two or three or four years are actually already here. It's just putting them together. I think as once someone said was that uh, the future has already arrived, it's just not evenly distributed yet. Mm, that's a lovely anecdote because it 
just describes everything, everything that we've touched on in this conversation. It's already arrived, but you don't even know that it has yet. And we certainly haven't necessarily figured out quite how we'll respond to it because we haven't even noticed that it's arrived, but it's already here. I'll yeah. mention metaverse marketing again. Anyway, um, I won't go down that uh, that path again, but it's to me, that is what um, that represents. And it's a lovely little kind of like um, ecosystem of its own that just is a you know, an indicator of this thing is here now. It's not a future technology, whereas a lot of people are saying, oh, no, we can't yet do that, can we? We can't get products into a virtual space. And like, bah, 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 bah. Yes, you can. It's right here, right now. It's about figuring out, is that a suitable digital channel for you? That's the question. And there's lots of other sub-questions under it. This has been really, really great. Um, I, I, I feel very motivated about carrying this on and onward. And if you're watching this on, on LinkedIn or any other channel uh, in the future, because uh, I'm sure you'll probably be catching this on Catch Up, the mass of you, um, is we would like, Charles and I would like to know what you think. Um, we've touched on a few of the topics that we think are quite pertinent right here, right now. But if there are any other topics that you think we should be factoring into our series of marketing for the curious, uh, please either post them in the message thread below or you can direct message me at Neil Wilkins X on pretty much any social media channel certainly the big main ones and I will respond to you and let you know if that makes the cut hopefully uh, we will be very customer focused I was going to say consumer focused then Charles but we're going to be customer focused and respond to any questions that you might have and see if we can factor those in to our conversation any final points before we wrap up Charles anything that you'd like to leave people pondering or musing um not essentially i do think if you haven't tried the latest versions of uh, uh, the ai that is out there chat gpt etc do so experimentation is really good at this particular stage and as i say i, I think it's probably one of the most exciting pieces of technology that's come out and since the iphone um, so I think that um, that is an area that's going to have a major impact for uh, marketers, not only in their job, but also in the way in which it can be enhanced for the use of businesses. So that, I think, is probably my one parting shot. But you're absolutely right. It's the usual aspect, though. We don't know what we don't know. And so I look forward to people's comments and questions and statements as to what they know that we don't. And thank you again, Charles, for your time today. Pleasure, Neil.